the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Well, did you stay up late last night? Not sure when the basketball Buckeyes put their upset of number one Duke officially in the win column, but it had to be trending close to 11.30 last night. Uh, I was in the arena. It was a raucous atmosphere, great atmosphere. Legendary coach Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski's kind of an interesting case. Uh, He's been coaching at Duke for 46 years. 46 years. That's crazy. And he's amazing. I mean, he really is amazing. Five NCAA titles, 12 Final Fours. Yet, you know, he's uh, not supremely popular. A lot of people hate him. A lot of people think he's a whiner. A lot of people think that uh, he's somehow the beneficiary of favorable treatment by the media, by officials, everybody else. We hate success in this country. I, I, I don't understand how we can get to the point where success is considered a bad thing. It's a really nefarious mindset that we have in this country, that if you excel at something, it can't possibly be through your own merit, that it has to be because you're cheating someone else. Uh, we have become a society, I think demonstrated by the way people look at Shashevsky. We have become a society of comparison and envy. Comparison and envy. That's what we do. The left has driven that. Academia has driven that. Social media has driven that. Facebook, Twitter. Social media is not real. I mean, I know it's real. It's not, you're not dreaming it. But what you see on social media is not real. That person on Facebook whose Hawaiian vacation pictures you see and say, wow, I wish we could go to Hawaii. That person on Facebook whose son or daughter's graduation party is perfect in every way, and you think, wow, that puts a lot of pressure on us when our son or daughter graduates. Reality is that what you see on social media posted by people is the best moment of their life. And if you get into a frame of mind where the mundane parts of your life, the bad parts of your life, the entirety of your life is compared to everyone else's highlight reel. Well, that's a recipe for misery. Rather than being a society of comparison and envy, we need to again become, and I say again become because I think this is what we were when America was founded. This was the kind of common thread throughout our founding. We were a society of gratitude and service. Gratitude and service. 
service demonstrated by the fact that the people who served in our government when it was founded were people who, like Mike Krzyzewski now, were people who had achieved things. People who had plantations and had um, industry or what had passed for industry at that time. I'm talking about they were successful business people. Or they were people who just felt a call upon their heart to go and do something noble for the people around them. They didn't you know, serve in Washington in those days because, hey, you know what? If I go do that for eight, nine terms, think of all the palms that will be greased that I can then parlay into influence and a pretty nice career as a lobbyist. That was not in the thought process of our early government representatives. We were a new nation that was exceedingly grateful. For what? For freedom. For freedom. That's what we were exceedingly grateful for. We didn't have to listen anymore to King George and his edicts. But this is how... The human mind works. The longer you have something, there is a tendency to appreciate it less. To not recognize what a blessing it is, to not recognize how much you should treasure it, but instead to so take it for granted that you don't even realize you have it. I mean, do the people who last night in Minneapolis tried to stop a car and grab a person out of that car, and beat the person in the car. Protesting the start of a trial for the police officer who, and I don't know how this happened. It, it, I, I want to know how she's going to justify this in her court case. She's reaching for what was supposedly her taser. She instead got her gun and shot a man to death. Yeah, I mean, I... Uh, well-trained police officer, that should not happen. Were there indications in her background that she harbored animus toward people of other races? I don't know. I'm anxious to find out. I'm eager to find out. I want to find out. I need to find out. But the people who stopped that car last night in Minneapolis tried to pull the person outside of the car so they could beat that person, do they realize that if they did that in almost every other country in the world, that they would be summarily shot and killed themselves. They would not be entitled to arrest a public defender, a trial of their peers. There'd be no bail, be no early release. There'd be no expunging of the record. How many things do we have in our society? And I'm just talking now about how the criminal justice system works, or in many cases it doesn't work. How many things do we have in our society that the people who complain about our society don't even realize they have, don't even realize they're benefiting from, don't even realize that if they tried anything like what they're doing to vilify our country, it would be summarily ended mercilessly in many other nations. For instance, even on something like abortion. Oh, we have the abortion lobby out there, and they're 
pounding on the doors of the Supreme Court right now because they're hearing oral arguments in the Mississippi case. And they're marching and they're picketing and they're screaming and they're yelling about how barbaric it would be if we deny them the right to kill children in the womb. So what is the situation in America regarding abortion compared to other countries in the world? I mean, if we are about to do something, according to the abortion lobby, that is so heinous, taking away a woman's right to kill her own baby in the womb after it's 15 weeks old, then surely around the world, all other nations must allow for abortion on demand like the bloodthirsty abortion lobbyists here want. I mean, that surely must be the recognized policy of every government in the world. Well, not according to the people who wrote the Mississippi abortion law that would restrict abortion after 15 weeks. They say, and I'm aware, I'm aware, I'm aware when you make a case before the Supreme Court that you position things that you believe to be true in the best possible light, and I understand that those things may in fact prove not to be true, that they have to be, as they say, fact-checked. Now, typically, the conservative position does not fare very well in the fact-checking argument because most of the fact-checkers are people who don't really do it in a dispassionate way. No, they do it in a very partisan way. PolitiFact, Washington Post. Donald Trump was fact-checked a lot. You notice Joe Biden doesn't get fact-checked very much. But what do the fact-checkers say? Because, you know, if the fact-checkers would happen to say that that Mississippi abortion law's contention, the proponents of the law's contention, that it's barbaric to abort a baby after 15 weeks, if the fact-checkers say, you know, they're right around the world, that's just not done, well, that would be a pretty powerful statement, would it not? Yes, it would be. So here's who we are keeping company with around the world when it comes to allowing abortion on demand after 20 weeks. After 20 weeks. Now, if Mississippi wants to eliminate abortions after 15 weeks, the argument, of course, is that a baby is viable, can be kept alive due to the latest technology and the latest medical advancements at 15 weeks, that the baby can feel pain, that it's torturous and terrible, and tormenting to exterminate a life at 15 weeks. If there are countries that do not allow it after 20 weeks, who would those countries be? Who would be the countries that we'd be keeping company with? Are we keeping company with countries we want to keep company with? Or are we keeping company with countries that have policies that we go, mm, gee, you know, um, we really don't want to keep company with them. They're not people we want to hang out with. They're not people we want to be associated with. They're not people who share our values. So here are the six countries in the world that we, the United States of America, keep company with allowing abortion for pretty much any reason under 20 weeks. North Korea is one of them. North Korea. Boy, I remember when Trump said nice things about Kim Jong-un, the left went nuts. 
They don't seem to mind that we're in bed with North Korea when it comes to abortion thinking. Here's another one. There are only six, like us. China. North Korea, China. Ooh. Vietnam. Singapore. The Netherlands. The Netherlands, which has, like, <laughs> suspended morality, what, half, a half a century ago? And Singapore. I don't know much about Singapore. I know Canada's super woke. Vietnam, China, North Korea. That's who we share a mindset with currently due to our enslavement to a law, well, a Supreme Court decision that is might as well be law because it's gained, what, 20, uh, 48 years of precedent, Roe v. Wade. Again, yet another argument why the thinking that people here would tell you is enlightened thinking is in fact... In fact, complete and utter darkness. Bruce Hooley Show on The Answer. Take us with you wherever you go. iHeartTuneInRadio.com app. You can download our app. Search 989FM The Answer in the iTunes and Google Play Store. You can watch the show on Facebook. The Hooley Show Facebook page or 989 The Answer Facebook page. Uh, I'm a big believer that role models are important. We have three daughters. Uh, I want my daughters to have role models. I believe the very best role model they have is their mother. She is uh, amazing, wise, um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal, godly woman. But I want my daughters to have role models beyond our own household. A couple of my daughters are more athletic than one of my daughters, although all three play sports, and the one that doesn't play or enjoy sports as much is into and very gifted at uh, music and drama. And so I observe them and the people that they look up to or admire for their talent and things like that. And, you know, we as parents try to monitor the situation and steer them toward people that we think model the kinds of characteristics that we want them to model. And I would imagine you as a parent are the same way. I think role models are very, very important. When I think about role models for women, my frame of reference is related to my professional background, which has been, prior to coming to the answer, mostly in the sports realm. I grew up a sports fan. I was a sports writer for a long time. I was a sports broadcaster for a long time. So when I think of girls who play sports, and I think it's an exceedingly valuable experience for youth to play sports. I think you learn so many great things like delayed gratification. You train, you practice, you fail, you try again. Delayed gratification is a great outgrowth of sports. Diligence, loyalty to others, sacrifice for others, all things that are developed, I think, through sports. And I think you can gain inspiration through sports, either through seeing a teammate develop, overcome something, or by watching people who are more adept at doing what you're trying to do. How many little girls in America over the years have been inspired by Serena Williams, by Mary Lou Retton, by Carrie Strug? I mean, just, you know, 
you can't even count the number, right? That's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about defending the authenticity of girls' sports from the ever-creeping lies of the transgender agenda. Because the transgender agenda would have you believe that a male, biologically, who psychologically sees or believes that they are, in fact, female, that they are, in fact, not a man, despite their biology, that that person would have no inherent competitive advantage over an authentically biological female. This past Olympics, we had an Olympic weightlifter who had competed as a man for years and years and years without distinction. All of a sudden, having converted to becoming a transgender girl, was good enough to make the Olympic team. And a lot of people thought would medal. Well, that person did not medal, thank goodness. But the day is coming quickly where that will be pretty common because the International Olympic Committee has changed its rules in the aftermath of Laurel Hubbard from New Zealand competing in weightlifting and not winning. And, of course, the criticism of anyone who would dare to say, well, that's not fair. That person is a man and formerly competed as a man. Nobody who lacks the courage of their conviction, nobody who lacks adherence to truth can bear up against the shrill, shrieking voices of the very passionate minority out there who, and you can debate forever the reasons why, contend that if you say you're a girl, you're a girl. So the International Olympic Committee has changed its standards. Its new ruling means that essentially now pretty much all you have to do is just say you're a woman. They're not going to test your testosterone anymore. They're going to just let you compete. Now, they're going to leave it up to the individual countries to make the rules for that country. So I wouldn't give the chance, I wouldn't give a chance very much to a country like, say, uh, China having transgender competitors. But will a lot of countries do it? Sure they will. And will the United States be one of those countries? You know we will. I'll prove it to you. Right now, in the Ivy League, a quote-unquote women's swimmer named Leah Thomas is crushing the records. In fact, she's crushing the records to such an extent that the assumption is, if this person continues on the current track they are on, they will lay waste to all the records of American swimmer Katie Ledecky. Now, if you know anything about Olympic swimming, Katie Ledecky set records in the freestyle that were out of sight, like never previously seen. She'd win races by entire lengths of the pool. Katie Ledecky obviously had invested in training and in technique. And how many young girls, whether they swim or not, had been inspired by Katie Ledecky. Millions. Millions. I don't think Leah Thomas's story will resonate with nearly as many girls because Leah Thomas 
used to be Will Thomas. And Will Thomas used to compete as a men's swimmer at Pennsylvania University. Now, Will Thomas goes by the name Leah Thomas and competes for the Pennsylvania women's swimming team. This is what Will slash Leah Thomas says. Being transgender has not affected my ability to do this sport, and being able to continue is very rewarding. Yeah, I bet it is rewarding. Where you used to be an average male swimmer, now you are a phenomenal female swimmer. In fact, this is not an Olympic year, so Will Thomas is not peaking for anything. Will Thomas's time in the women's 500-meter freestyle would have been good enough for a bronze medal at the 2021 World Championships. So, if we allow this to continue, what will happen to female role models? What will happen to female sports? What will happen to our culture? I don't know. None of it's good. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.